So would you please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 27? I believe this will be the last uh, time we preach Psalm 27 for quite some time. This is the third sermon on Psalm 27, and we're going to focus on the prayer of David, which begins in verse 7 and continues to verse 12, although I hope to finish the chapter uh, this evening. Um, he starts out famously by proclaiming that the Lord, that Yahweh, is his light and his salvation. The light illuminates the way, and once the light bursts into the dungeon of our hearts, we have salvation. We rise up, the chains are off, and we follow hard after Jesus. And this brings courage. He's the strength of our lives as well. So the first six verses, we see the confidence that David has. Uh, The second six verses, 7 through 12, we see a prayer lifted up. And then David ends with two verses of confidence as well. Again, remember that the very first word and the very last word of this psalm are both Yahweh. God. God is the reason um, that David is actually confident in his prayers. God, he said last week, we learned that God was his only desire to serve God, to be with him and to know him. So would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? This is Psalm 27, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord and be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would bless your word. We pray that your word would indeed pierce joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Lord, be honored and glorified in the preaching of your word, and may we receive your word with joy in Jesus' name. Amen. So David's prayer. David is transitioning, as we have already said, from declarations of God's faithfulness, 
God is good. It's all he desires is to be with God. God is his protector, his stronghold, his salvation. He has an overwhelming love for God. And now he is coming to a time of prayer. He's turning to God in prayer. And I just thought we would talk about prayer for a moment. I mean, I know many people struggle just with the idea of praying. You think maybe you'll pray wrongly. You won't pray um, adequately enough. It won't be very eloquent if I pray. And somehow you're tempted just not to do it. Remember that David is talking to God. The Psalms are David's prayer to God. That's what prayer is, ultimately, is talking to God. Most people have no trouble talking, especially to their most dear and intimate friends and family, their loved ones. Prayer to God should not be intimidating for those who have faith in Christ. We know that God has given us his word. He talked a lot. And we should also desire to talk as well a lot to our God. We should desire communion with him. But the question remains, how do we pray like David? He seemed very comfortable praying. He seemed very comfortable just opening up his heart and saying what was on his mind. How can we learn to do that? I remember my dad being very patient with me uh, when I was really young and I wanted to learn to hit a baseball. If you've ever taught someone how to hit a baseball, you know it takes a lot of patience. But what do you do? You just keep throwing the ball. And you keep throwing. And you keep throwing. And you say, son, keep swinging. Keep swinging. Keep swinging. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep swinging. And what happens? After a few days, a few weeks, a few months, you hit the ball often. You learn how to do it. Do you want to learn how to pray? You've got to just start praying. Pray often. It's the same with shooting. I remember learning how to shoot in the military. People who shoot well are people who practice a lot. You have to practice if you want to be good. People who want to pray and be comfortable praying need to pray often. Jesus would pray often. He was the perfect human being. He had so much responsibility. Everyone wanted to be with him. Everyone was pursuing him. He was often pressed by the crowd. Everyone needed something from him. And we read often that he couldn't be found. Where was he? Well, he had left them and gone to pray. Prayer was an important part of his life. He would get up early to pray. Knowing how busy he was, he would, he would forego sleep so that he could spend time in prayer. Well, that's all well and good, but actually, how do I pray? What do I say? Well, this book is useful for prayer. All of it. The more you read it, the more you try to integrate the truth you find in the Bible into your, into your prayers, uh, the more pleasing it will be to you. God will hear you regardless, but you need to pray the book. The Psalms are our special book of prayer. It's often been noted by saints throughout every generation that the Psalms really are the Christian's prayer book. 
Everything you experience in life, you can find that emotion, that situation in some way related to God in prayer in the Psalms. But of course, the Lord's Prayer is our primer. This is, this is the starting point for prayer. If you want to learn how Jesus taught His disciples to pray, that's where you start. Of course, David's Psalms and the Lord's Prayer are not in conflict at all. We see many of the same elements in David's prayers as we see in the Lord's Prayer. God's being and character exalted. God's goodness and His majesty and His power. His holiness. His glory. God's kingdom. We praise God. We magnify God. We adore God when we begin coming to Him in prayer. As David did in this particular psalm. And then we present our requests to God. Often in the Psalms we see David confessing sin. Of course, this is in the Lord's Prayer as well. Confessing sin and asking for forgiveness. And this is where we find David in this psalm. Now to the point of making requests to God. He's declared God's glory. He's adored the name of God. He's magnified Him and and praised Him. And now in verse 6, we see Him... Preparing to pray. He says he's coming to God with shouts of joy. And singing and making melody to the Lord. It's good for us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. It's good for us to come into God's presence declaring his majesty and all of his attributes. If you feel like you are praying regularly, but your prayers just they feel stale. This is a very common experience from, again, the saints of every age. You can read letters that they've written to people where they lament the, the, the feebleness of their prayers and their passion in prayer. But this should not detract us from coming to God in prayer. The fact that we don't feel like praying or we don't feel like our prayer is meaningful. We need to continue coming. Try to pray the Psalms. Pray through a psalm. It will lift your soul. Find a book of Puritan prayers and pray the Puritans' prayers as well because they pray Scripture. Pray the Scriptures like the Puritans. But come to the Lord in prayer often. Hebrews 12 says, We offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It is an awesome privilege to be able to bring our prayers to God. Should we be familiar in prayer? Sure, pray all the time. Pray when you're driving. Pray when you're walking. Pray when you have thoughts. Pray when you have bad thoughts. Pray when you have good thoughts. Pray. But always in your mind know that you are approaching the throne of God. Remember, there's no such thing as a little prayer. If you're praying, the prayer goes straight to the throne. And we approach God often with praise. David is doing what God's people have always done here in verse 6. He's starting his prayer with praise. He's singing praise to God. It's a joy and a privilege to praise. It's a joy and a privilege to pray, but it's also a duty to praise and to pray. Well, I don't pray well. 
Well, you should still pray. Well, I don't sing well. You should still sing. Otherwise, you make yourself higher than God. Corporately and privately, we need to cultivate a proper attitude of prayer. Verse 7, he begins his prayer. This is his first petition. His first petition to God is, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. This is a great place to start. If you're praying, usually there's a need that's on your heart, and just cry out to God. Tell Him, Hear me, O Lord. If you've been struggling with something for a long time, David would often say, How long, O Lord? How long? He knows that we're dust. He remembers that we're frail creatures. And he desires to answer our prayers, so pray. This word here in the Hebrew is an important word. um, Relaying the relationship between God and his people and his people and God. Here, uh, Shema, the Shema of Israel is... um, Something that every good Hebrew, even today, every Jew is reciting the Shema at the Wailing Wall. You wonder what they're saying. Part of it is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the Shema. And it's called that because that word means hear. Hear, O Israel. Well, here, this is David. So the Shema is God saying, hear, O Israel. This is David saying, Hear me, O God. David knows the command of God to hear God. Now he's asking God to hear him. And prayer is always like that. We hear God speak to us through his word, and we offer back the same prayers to God that he's spoken in his word. He's in relationship. David is in relationship with the God who speaks, that he might hear. And now he hears that he might speak back to God. And he's confident that God will hear him. He's in great distress. He's saying, God, hear me too. I've heard you, now hear me. But he's in distress. And he prays that God would hear his cry. I think sometimes we're convinced, and some of you may be convinced, that God is not listening when you pray sometimes. Some requests are so silly in your mind, or so small, or you've just been dealing with it so long, He's not going to hear, I've prayed enough. You should still cry out to God. Do not grow weary in praying. Be persistent in your prayers. If you ask for a piece of bread, will he give you a stone or a serpent? No, he will not. He will not forsake his inheritance. He will not ignore the cry of his people. He will hear and answer. David asks God, his second petition, be gracious to me and answer me. I love the emotion of David's prayers. He's he's telling God that he needs an answer. He needs God's grace because the problem is difficult. 
in verse 8, again, you can see the, the working of David's heart. He says, you've said you're seek my face. God has said to me, seek my face. David, you should seek my face. Remember, to, to stand before the face of God is to be in God's presence. It's to be out in front of Him. To stand in front of Him is to be in His face. And it's the greatest blessing or favor that we could have is to be in the presence of God. So God is giving a loving command when He says, seek my face. Actually, to seek the face of God is to seek the only thing in your life that can help in any situation. You're you're not seeking the face of God. That means you're pursuing other things that will never help. But to be before the face of God is to be blessed beyond all comprehension. And it's the ultimate hope of every covenant believer, every Christian, to see the face of Jesus Christ. The ancients called it the beatific vision. To see the face of Jesus. And we will someday. We will see Jesus face to face, literally. To be before the face of God. To seek the face of God is to seek the only God, the only one who can help. You remember when God told Aaron to bless the people whenever they worshipped? What did he say? You hear it every week. The Lord bless you and keep you and to make his face shine upon you. To turn his countenance toward you. It's the same exact word. To turn his face toward you. This is the greatest blessing any of us could ever have is for God to turn his face toward us. That we might be in front of his face. To make his face to shine upon us. It's the ultimate blessing of blessings. So God has commanded David to seek his face, knowing that this is the only blessing. In the midst of his suffering, he said, David, seek my face. He tells us to seek his face. Why? Because he's a narcissist and he just needs everyone thinking about him and glorying in him. And No, of course not. He loves his people and he knows he is the source of all goodness and glory. The source of everything that we need comes from him. So to seek the face of God is God being as loving as he possibly can to command us to do this. It's a gift from God. And what God requires, He also provides. He requires faith to pray, and He provides faith so that we might pray. And David says to God, Your face, O Lord, do I seek? I'm doing it. I'm praying to you right now. We should be encouraged by David in his faithfulness to continue to pursue God. He faced such difficulty that we will never imagine till we meet Him and talk to Him and just have Him explain His life. We think of all the things that trouble our lives, and many of them are very serious. But the suffering that David faced, the rejection, the despisement of the world, the great danger his life faced, was probably greater than any of us will ever experience. So David continues to seek after God, and in verse 9 he continues in this theme, Hide not your face from me. If God's face shining on you is the greatest blessing, the worst thing that could ever happen is for God to turn His face away from you. 
to hide his face from you. The fountain of all goodness in life is God. So the worst thing that could possibly happen is for God to hide his face. And he says, do not hide your face from me. Because when you do, there's no peace, there's no safety, there's no comfort, there's nothing. By the way, this is the plight of the world, bound in sin and nature's night, bound in darkness. God's face is turned away from them. So for God's people, you should understand that David is praying for something that's already promised. Of course, this is the best kind of prayer. God, sanctify my life. That's a wonderful prayer. It's a prayer God will always answer. It's a prayer that every Christian wants. God, make me more godly. Make me holy. Make me a, a light for the, na- for the people in my community. These are prayers that God will answer. Do not hide your face from me is one of those prayers that God will answer for a Christian. Because it's not possible for him to ultimately turn away from a believer. He may withdraw his favor at times to show you the, the strength of your indwelling sin or something of that nature. Or to chastise you for for wandering or backsliding, but this is only to bring you back to a more complete repentance and a more sincere love for God. But it's not hiding His face. He's disciplining the one that He loves. For God to truly hide His face would be to experience His wrath, as Christ did on the cross for all of His beloved. But it's, it's interesting that even after Christ's suffering was over, Psalm 22 explains, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted, the afflicted one, nor has he hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. God can never ultimately turn his face from one whom he's purchased and brought into his own family. So David continues his pleas. Turn not your servant away in anger. This is his fourth petition. They're, of course, intertwined and related in many ways. But he says, do not turn your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. O God of my salvation. Can you hear where David's heart is right now? He feels like he has been cast off. He feels like he has been turned away. He feels like God is not listening to him. And he's saying, God, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. And of course, the word servant in the Hebrew is primarily the meaning is slave. So he's coming to to God as speaking to God as a slave. He's saying, I've been a faithful slave. Don't, Don't send me away. Don't turn me out. David's telling God that he is a good servant, a prized possession. He should not be turned away in anger. He should not be forsaken or cast off. His value isn't because of his own work, of course. His value is the value that's placed on him because of Christ's work. Don't turn me away. Cast me not away. We see some of the heartache in his life in verse 10. He says, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Even when everyone else fails you, Christian, God will not forsake you. He will never, ever leave you. 
Jesus warned us that the single-minded pursuit of God will not produce peace with other people on the earth. In chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 34, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. David certainly experienced this, it seems. And later, his own family, his own children would pursue him to death. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. If you are like David and the only thing you desire is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to worship in His temple, to be with God, if this is your the center of your universe, then it will often be that even those in your own family will be those who hate you. David said, my own parents have forsaken me. What's his hope? God. God will not forsake me. Often when I fail my wife, I tell her, I'm going to fail you again. I'm just a man. Put your hope in Christ. He will never fail you. He's perfect. David is saying this about his parents. My my parents have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Our God will never turn away the weary traveler. The son who has wandered, when he comes back, he will receive him with open arms. He'll put a new robe on his back and a ring on his finger, and he'll celebrate your return. So your earthly family may deride and despise you. Your heavenly Father will never do so. Your friends may despise you. The world will despise you. But God never will. This is also a warning, I think, a danger of idolizing our earthly families. This is a temptation for every person who's ever lived, is to put their family above God. Jesus says not to. This is the devotion every believer has, every believer desires, is to have God first in our lives. We all desire that. But after talking about those who have forsaken him, even his closest relatives, his mother and his father, in verse 11, he, he approaches God again with another petition. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. I'm so confused, I don't know what's going on. Lord, show me what you're doing. Teach me your way. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. I feel beset on every side. I, I, I don't know what you're doing. Teach me your way. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. David needs wisdom. And this is often what we want as well when we face hardship in life. God, what, what should I do? What would you have me do, Lord? We want God to be our light, to give us wisdom. Of course, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, using His Word. We want to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge Him, that He might direct our paths. David wants a level path. He's tired of the bumpy path, the bumpy road. 
Sometimes I can relate to that. Lord, I just want, I want a week that's level. I don't want a week of bumps and turns and twists. I just want a straight level week, a week that just goes straight. And when they come, I thank him and I praise him. David has enemies that are trying to trip him up. They're digging pits for him to fall in. They're setting up bear traps all over the place that he can't see. And yet even in the midst of his enemies, he has confidence. We see this also in Psalm 23. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Can you imagine in the middle of a battle and God sets up a a meal for him? And he says, David, come sit. Eat. But there's a battle. There's enemies everywhere. There's swords and arrows flying. And I know, sit down. Sit down here and eat. Here's, here's a cup. Drink. This is how David describes what God does in the midst of the storm, in the midst of your enemies, in the midst of the world's opposition. And this is how he closes his prayer. And then he, he finishes with, Two words of confidence in verses 13 and 14. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, I prayed all these things, and I believe while I'm still alive here on the ground, God is going to answer these prayers. And I believe that I will see the goodness of God here on earth before I die. Will God answer every prayer exactly the way he wants? No, David knows. But he knows that he has a good shepherd and he believes that he will see the goodness of this shepherd here on the earth. David doesn't have to wait to heaven to see God's goodness in his life. Psalm 23 again says, Surely goodness and mercy, covenant love, will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God will certainly answer you. He will. The answer will come in the manner and in the timing of his almighty plan, but he will answer. That's why David finishes in verse 14 with a great encouragement at the end of a prayer. What's the hardest thing for us to do? If you're like Inigo Montoya, waiting. I hate waiting, right? It's the hardest thing to do, is to wait. But David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He says it twice because it's hard to wait. David doesn't want to wait any longer. He wants the answer. He's sure that God will answer, but he knows that he needs to wait. He needs to be strong and take courage and wait. Well, I hope this prayer inspires your confidence as it did mine. Your God is a good shepherd. He does good things. Even in the midst of difficulty, he's working a goodness somewhere. He's filled with love and mercy and compassion for you, each one of you. And he will hear you when you call to him. Your prayers come up to the Father like incense. And they're received because of Christ. They're received because of the Holy Spirit's uh, interceding. They're, They're received with joy. The Father loves to hear you call to Him. So like David, call to the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful that there are so many ways 
in your word that you teach us to pray. We thank you that we have the whole Bible to teach us to pray. We thank you that we have the Psalms to teach us to pray. We have the the Lord's Prayer to teach us to pray. We have the saints of old who have prayed and prayed and prayed your word and left their prayers for us to read, to be informed of 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 our prayers. And Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that we would be a people of prayer, that we would never turn away from calling upon you, that we would keep swinging the bats, keep striving to pray, that you would call each one of us to pray. Pour out your Spirit upon us and make us a people of prayer. And answer our prayers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.